Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Park podcast and now video stream. I'm happy to be here with uh, John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give him a follow at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can give me a follow at Roto Jake. Today, we're going to be talking about two biggest fights at UFC 269. We're back for the first time uh, since last month. We got a lot to a lot going on since then, but uh, we're going to talk some Poirier Oliveira today. But first off, UFC took a little break for Thanksgiving, and uh, Aldo came back, and he looked good. He was your pick in the article, so props to that. Here, uh, what are your thoughts on, on how that looked and what you can really do uh, moving forward? I know I know you had the Ranger game that night, too, but I'm sure you caught Aldo on paper. Yeah, I did. He did look good. I thought it was a uh, pretty good stylistic matchup for, for Aldo in that fight. Rob Font's a striker. Um, you know, say what you want about Aldo is getting older, obviously, but... If you stand there and engage him in a kickboxing match, he still is as dangerous as any guy in the division. So that one pretty much went like I thought it would. Um, there are a lot of things they could do in that division. Um, maybe Aldo and TJ Dillashaw, I heard they might be talking about. That would make some sense. Um, I don't know who I would take in that fight. I imagine TJ would probably be a slight betting favorite. But that would be, I'm pretty sure that that would be competitive. I'd have to think about that one a little bit, which is good. Uh, no, he definitely looked good. You know, for not all that long ago, it looked like, you know, Jose Aldo was done after a rough run at featherweight, dropped down to bantamweight, and now he seems to have some new life. Yeah, I mean, there, I don't think you can run Aldo up to Piotr Jan again, especially after what Jan did to him in the first matchup here. I was just checking on TJ Dillashaw. I think he's had a knee injury in the window, win over Sandhagen, so it's quite possible that, um, uh, you know, maybe they do a title eliminator with Sandhagen. Maybe Dillashaw's not uh, ready quite yet. But uh, either way, Aldo, big name, going to keep selling fights. Uh, he's got to be sneakily climbing up the goat ladder here. You know, a lot of people, you know, say GSP or maybe Bones without the, the suspensions. But uh, Aldo's longevity is definitely in multiple weight classes is, is definitely incredible. Yeah, the weight class thing's big. You know, I didn't really understand why at his age he wanted to drop down, especially when he really had. No problem making featherweight and making 145 pounds for his entire career. But, you know, credit to him. Maybe he saw a quicker path to make an impact at bantamweight. And he's done a nice job, even dropping down. No issues making weight um, at the lower weight class. He's been impressive. 
Mm-hmm. All right, right on. So, uh, you know, that's the most recent little recap, but uh, let's jump into some fights here at UFC 269. Uh, we've got a great card here, a uh, couple of title fights to check out. First and foremost, of course, we have to take a look at uh, a little unification bout, or actually, no. Poirier was the interim at one point. Uh, he's just coming off a couple of Conor McGregor wins here. But Charles, Charles Oliveira is the champion. Um, he's going to be taking on Dustin Poirier, of course. Poirier is the betting favorite despite being uh, the challenger in this fight. He's minus 160. Comeback on Oliveira, plus 140. DraftKings salaries reflect that. 8,600 for Poirier, 7,600 for Oliveira. Now, uh, the odds to finish, also surprisingly, they were up there at minus 400. Maybe they changed a little bit since uh, we posted the article here. We were looking at some kind of initial ones. I'm going to take a peek at that now. Yeah, they're all in the minus 350 to minus 400 range. I think FanDuel might even have it around minus 550 right now. Uh, so if you're looking for a decision, I guess that would be the place to bet here. But, uh, I mean, your initial thoughts on this one, John, and and ultimately uh, your pick for the winner. This is a good fight. You know, that's no secret. Um, Charles Oliveira's won nine fights in a row, um, won the UFC lightweight title, um, from Michael Chandler recently, Chandler, the most impressive part about Oliveira's win over Chandler was the fact that Oliveira appeared to be done in the early stages of the fight. Mm -hmm. Chandler had him essentially pinned up against the fence and flattened out. And like at the time I would have bet, you know, it was like 99%. 99.9 percent certain it looked like the fight was over yeah chandler was about to become the champ i think even at least one of the judges afterwards uh of course it finished in the second round but one of the judges had a 10-8 round for chandler so that's pretty that's a reflection of how dominant he was in that yeah, round it, it was that close to being yep. stopped um michael chandler essentially just kind of gassed himself out going for the finish um never got it um charles olivero somehow powered through um and then ended up finishing the fight in the second round like you mentioned um, Charles Oliveira's won nine in a row, like I said a few seconds ago. In that streak, wins over Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee, Jim Miller. I mean, you know, Lee and Miller victories don't look like a ton now, but he beat them both when they were both considered top guys. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't lost a fight since December 2017. That was against Paul Felder. Um, Oliveira fights a lot. He fights frequently and he fights well. There's nothing about this rise. Um, rise to the top of the division that is feels fluky to me he's legitimately that good um and i think the 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 clear improvement in charles over the years has been in the stand-up he's arguably one of the very best brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners of all time in the history of mma um that much was never in question the real impressive part is how much he has improved his striking um it's definitely become it's at least average. It might be a tick above that. And, um, you know, the example we always use is it's kind of what happened to Henry Cejudo in the sense that Henry Cejudo had a real chance to be UFC champion if he could just get his striking to solid average because of how good of a wrestler he was. It's the same situation for Oliveira. He's so good on the mat that if he could just get his striking to average, he had a chance to be champion. And that's pretty much exactly what's happened. Um, that being said, this is a really big ask. Um, for Charles Oliveira in his first title defense. And as good as he's been, there's a real case to be made that Dustin Poirier has been even better of late. Seven and one in his last eight fights. The lone loss in that streak came against Habib Nurmagomedov, which, as I mentioned in my preview, you know, that kind of just gets tossed to the side. Nobody was able to beat Habib. So, you know, that's no big deal. Um, Poirier has wins over Conor McGregor twice. 
Dan Hooker, Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje. Like, you can go down, and he has defeated everybody. Um, I ended up taking Poirier in this fight. I went back and forth. I do like Oliveira at his DraftKings price tag. I'm not sure there's a $1,000 difference between the two. Um, and Oliveira is just so crafty that, uh, you know, and he's in such a nice run right now that I really don't like betting against him. But I think there's a physicality edge for Dustin, um, which is a little bit weird to say because Oliveira is the slightly bigger man. I think he's an inch taller and has an inch reach edge or somewhere in that area. Um, I'm curious if Dustin is going to sell out to stop takedowns because for a guy who's been around as long as Poirier has, his takedown defense is only 61%, which isn't all that great. Um, you know, we always say you want to be God north of 70 is probably like solid average. Now you got to keep in mind, you know, there were seven takedowns in there from Habib. Yeah, there were four. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. You know, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, if we're gonna throw out the Khabib fight, you know, we got to throw out those seven takedowns. He's probably at or above that seventy percent we want if we throw out those uh, those seven takedowns. The ones against Hooker were a little bit mysterious, though. I mean, Hooker got him down four times in in a in a five round fight. So, um, uh, you know, I guess he can be taken down. Um, but I don't know if uh, I don't know if we can apply that here necessarily. Yeah, you know, I I, I I wouldn't call his takedown defense a big weakness, despite the fact the percentage is only you know below average. Um, it's just Charles Oliveira has such a big advantage over every man in the division as far as submission game that there's a big, big, big edge for Dustin as long as he can keep this fight standing. Yeah, like he certainly has more power. Yeah, it's if if Dustin gets a knockdown he's smart enough at this point to not follow him to the ground. You know, yeah. if he, even if he rattles him or thinks he's going to go for the finish, he'll, he'll make him get back up and do it again. Because I think that is where the advantage of course lies for Dustin. There's a big edge in terms of uh striking volume, you know, 5.62 for Dustin, 3.26 to Oliveira. Uh, obviously the defense Oliveira gets hit less because he's been spending, you know, more time, you know, on the ground, on the mat and control. Now when it came time to my pick, I was pretty much along the same line of thinking too. The strength of record for Dustin Poirier is uh, it, it, it's much better, you know. You know, in my eyes, yeah. The the Chandler win was awesome. You know, Chandler, Chandler came in uh, to the UFC. He's been a Bellator champ for a while. You know, Oliveira had a cool come from behind win there. Um, I think the jury still might be out on Chandler a little bit because, you know, he went on and he lost his next fight. So is Chandler really in that top tier? You know, the Ferguson win that Oliveira had doesn't look so great now. Um, you know, after you can see that Ferguson's downfall has kind of started a little bit. Uh, and then of course you got Kevin, Kevin Lee in there, um, who has, you know, since been cut from the UFC for different reasons, of course, but, uh, you know, you can pick apart the record a little bit there. The strength of record definitely lies with Poirier. And I think if he can keep this fight on the feet, which, you know, he's got solid takedown defense. I mean, anyone that's been around for as many fights and faced the people that he has faced, you know, to be around that 70 mark, you know, and again, which he would be if he would, didn't get taken down seven times by Khabib, uh, to be around that mark is, is incredibly impressive. I think he'll have enough to stay off his feet. Will he maybe get into one or two scary grappling situations? Sure, that could, that could definitely happen, and it'll be very, very nerve-wracking when that does happen, you know. But uh, overall, I think Poirier is the pick. I think both of these guys are very, very viable uh, DraftKings plays. They should both be 25 30% rostered or greater on DraftKings. The pick outright is Poirier, but 
I definitely would advise some Oliveira exposure. He can snatch the submission and end it in a second. And that and that's really the biggest reason why. You don't want to be left without Oliveira exposure in, in the case that that happens. You know, out of 10 lineups for me, maybe it's... Oh, that's really tough. Maybe maybe six Poirier, uh, two or three Oliveira with one with one stack. Generally, I don't think this is a great fight to stack because it's not like these are two stand up fighters that are getting a ton of uh, volume, especially with Oliveira. Three point two six significant strikes landed per minute over twenty five minutes. He's got a shot here, but uh, generally that's not the high volume you'd look for in a stack necessarily. So I don't think I'd put them together in the same lineup. But uh, there is some value I like. We'll get to that at the end of the card. But uh, Oliveira is not a bad draftings play, and he definitely shouldn't be ignored because while I'm picking Dustin, you're picking Dustin, I think most of the staff picks that are in are going to pick Dustin. I mean, when you have straight up all things equal, it probably has to be a Dustin pick. But Oliveira, I will call him a slightly live dog. He's got a shot. I'm not counting him out. No, he definitely has a shot. Now, you know, I'm, just, I'm curious. He might have to kind of survive an early onslaught like he did in the Chandler fight. There might be that blitz off the top where he has to power through it. And I agree. I'm not crazy about a stack here for the simple reason that both of these guys' strengths, neither of them really play into each other. You know, Dustin should have a massive edge on the on the on the feet, but if he's pounding Oliver on the feet, Oliver is not the kind of guy like Conor McGregor who's gonna get into a firefight and just try and go back and forth with you. Mm-hmm. He's gonna look to try and get it to the ground. So and yep. if the fight's on the ground, obviously it's unlikely either man's gonna rack up a ton yep. of points. And Oliver, so, he'll do whatever it takes to get him to the to get to the ground. He'll pull guard if he has to. He's definitely not afraid of fighting off his back. But Dustin's fight IQ again, he's been around for a while. There, there I'm not going to pull that there are levels of this quote yet because they're both very experienced, have a ton of UFC wins. But uh, I trust Dustin's fight IQ to not follow him to the ground in those situations. And if you straight up told me who's got more power, Chandler or Poirier. I would probably put it towards Poirier. So I don't think, I think maybe just maybe Oliveira doesn't quite recover if he takes the same type of shot that he did from Chandler's and is how, is how I view that one. So definitely higher on the Poirier exposure, but because of the way the prices are set up a little bit, little, little bit Oliveira for me sprinkled in there for sure. Yeah. It's a good fight. You know, it's, it's certainly not one where I expect it to be competitive. I I don't think either guy is going to run away with it, but Mm -hmm. I would give a slight edge to Poirier. Yep, I'm 100% with you there. All right, so that's the main event. We'll get to the co-main event in the second. Uh, quick apologies for those watching on video. I got to pause from a word for our sponsors at Blue Wire here. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And then we are back. All right, so co-main event. This one is a much different breakdown than the tight, interesting, intriguing main event fight that uh, we first discussed here. We've got Amanda Nunes going up against Juliana Pena. Uh, Nunes, $9,500 on DraftKings. Pena, $6,500. The most expensive and cheapest fighters on DraftKings, respectively. I've seen odds all over the place from minus 850 to minus 1000 for Nunez. You always like to say that means maybe the fight shouldn't be made if they're going to be that lopsided. But anyway, come back on Pena right around plus 600. You know, we'll see where this goes. Odds to finish are minus 450. I believe Nunez has the second best finish or knockout finish prop or or the best. She's right up there with Bruno Silva. So that kind of fluctuates back and forth. Yeah, she's got the second best uh, knockout prop here. I mean, Amanda Nunes is the most dominant women's fighter, possibly the most dominant fighter in the sport now that Habib is out. Generally, generally, you don't want to fade any fighter entirely if you're mass entering, but I mean, maybe throw one or two lineups in to account for the fluke situation. Nunes takes a bad step back, breaks her, you know, that kind of crazy fluke situation. Of course, uh, hopefully I'm not speaking that new and existent, but, but generally these fighters fight 10 times. Nunes fights, Nunes wins 10 of them. They fight a hundred times. Nunes probably wins 98 or 99 of them. I mean, I, I just, uh, Pena, I respect her. She's, you know, a great, ranked fighter in the division can certainly get some wins against other middle tier fighters in this division, but it's a huge ask for me. Yeah. It's probably an impossible ask. And the crazy thing is Amanda Nunes 9,500 DraftKings salary is actually more than it usually is because there's 15 fights on this card. The average UFC card, you, I mean the a full UFC card is usually 13. Mm-hmm. That's the general number. Um, this fight card, I believe has 15, which means she's probably a couple hundred bucks more than she would usually be. Usually you're at, you know, like 93 and 67 or whatever, but here she's all the way up at 95. Look, Amanda Nunes hasn't lost a fight since September, 2014. So we're on seven plus years now in that stretch. You know, I've said this before, Valentina Shevchenko twice, Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm, on and on and on. Um, You know, she's 33 years old. She looks better than ever. She hits harder than any woman in the sport. Uh, her technique is fantastic. There's really just, there's nothing to pick apart about her. She's massively strong. It's just, she excels in every single area. Um, now back to the part where we talk about her opponent. Um, look, Julianne Payne is two and two in her last four fights. You know, any reasonable expectation is a fighter two and two in their last four fights shouldn't be fighting for a title. That's just how it goes. Um, you know, look, um, Juliana Pena had a bunch of promise early in her career. Um, she kind of got stunted a bit by, um, you know, she had a kid, birth of her child, which, you know, put her on the sideline for a while. Then she had a really, really bad knee injury. She ripped up her entire knee. She tore like every ligament in her knee. And look, it set her back. You know, she's fought three times since July 2019. So in two and a half years, she's fought three times. She'll be 32 years old later this month. So she's not, you know, she's certainly not in the athletic prime for her career. Um, I think through, you know, circumstances that, you know, aren't her doing, 
I think she might have just like missed the boat a little. Like if you know, I, you know, the, obviously having a child was her decision, but I really think the knee injury set her back. And she might have got there at one point, but I, you know, I think the odds are against her getting there now. And if you just look at this fight in particular, stylistically, it appears to be a disaster for Pena. You know, she does virtually all of her damage on the mat, but Amanda Nunes is much bigger, much stronger, and defends a takedown at 84%. So we were talking about Dustin Poirier. What was he at? Like 61, I think it was. Amanda Nunes is at 84%. If Juliana Pena is not able to get Amanda Nunes to the ground, Amanda Nunes is going to obliterate her on the feed. She's just gonna she's gonna cream her. It's not gonna be remotely close. Um, look, the bottom line is, and this is pretty much what I say about every Amanda Nunes fight and Valentina Shevchenko fight at this point. Essentially, we're kind of just spinning our wheels until they fight again for a third time. Um, the first two fights between the two were extremely competitive, and that's what we're leading up to. You know. Uh, Amanda Nunez has not sold particularly well when she's headline pay-per-views, you know, buys have not been that great. So DFC has kind of settled into putting her in like a co-main event spot, which is fine. You know, look, she earns a paycheck. She gets to keep her title. You know, it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, you know, we should probably mention that this fight was supposed to take place in August. Um, Nunez tested positive for COVID. So it had to be pushed back a handful of months. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think either of us think this is going to ma- that's going to matter. Um, look, you kind of have to. There's a real chance that even at 9,500, if you're in a, you know, a mass tournament type deal with a bunch of, you know, thousands of people, there's a chance you're going to get totally locked out if you don't have her in your lineup. Mm-hmm. So I know it's killing you to spend 9,500, you know, gigantic chunk of your salary on just one fighter, but if you don't have her there's probably at least a 50-50 chance you're not going to have a chance to get one of those top prizes. So, yep. you know, to solve that, you make multiple lineups, you know, have mm-hmm. have a minimal exposure. Like on in some cases, like you said, just in case, you know, she does take a wrong step and break her leg or, or foot or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, this, we talk all the time about how it's painful, you know, kind of just close your eyes and click it to spend so much salary. But yeah. believe it or not, more often than not, when you have a fighter that's this dominant against such an inferior opponent, it usually pays off. Yeah, that, I just got a couple small things to say on this before we'll move on to some of the more uh, complex breakdowns, I guess. But, uh, you know, since taking the belt from Misha Tate, um, Amanda Nunes has been under 98 draftings points just once. That's when she put up 80 against Shevchenko. And she can pay off that salary in a variety of ways. I mean, uh, you know, against uh, Anderson or Holm, there were knockouts, you know, Cyborg, uh, you know, Pennington. Uh, Pennington was a late knockout, but you know, you can get a point early for big knockouts here. She's got a few of those on her resume, but also you look at Felicia Spencer, Spencer and Jermaine Durand May five round fights where Nunez, you know, early, early on at the start of her title reign, if you were trying to figure out a way that she might lose, you know, you might go turn to her sinus and her breathing situation that has been clearly corrected she put up 158.9 draftings points against Jermaine Durandamy and Durandamy uh just a couple fights ago in her most recent fight she choked out Juliana Pena and Durandamy doesn't choke anybody out that is not at all part of her game no she's she's an elite level kickboxer that is that is it so then Pena goes and gets choked out by Durandamy then Pena comes back she gets a sub a third round submission against Sarah McMahon and suddenly she's in the title fight so 
Um, again, it's it's a lack of options that's leading us here. Uh, I personally like Pena. I mean, I won money on her when I bet on her against Katzengano in Vegas at UFC 200. I remember her fondly, um, you know, but I just can't pick her to win, and there's no chance here. Um, you know, Nunes is maybe close to 100% exposure, but if you're really mass entering, maybe you cap it at 80 or so just in case, uh, you know, she she underperforms and, and doesn't get the the early finish or doesn't put the same volume on that we thought if it turns into a clinch battle maybe she doesn't get the same volume and and you know you do a you do one of your weird strategies in tournaments to not eat the chalk necessarily but cash games and yeah most tournaments i think you you know most of your lineups you have to figure out how many nunez lineups am i going to have and how am i going to get the value around her it's just it's as simple as that yeah and i mean there are two other things i just want to mention quick you know i didn't write it mention in my preview article but like um, Juliana Pena like doesn't really have like a signature win in her career. Like the Zingano win is probably her best one. Like she defeated Jessica I back when I was you know a bit highly more thought of than she is now. But like Nico Montano, you know Miliana Dudieva, Jessica like it's not like Montano's out of the UFC and the win that got her a title shot was against a forty-one year old Sarah. Yeah, and I mean, and the other thing is, look, Nunes fights a lot. Here's what Julian Pena has done recently. Once in 20, twice in 2015, once in 2016, once in 2017, not at all in 2018, once in 2019, once in 2020, and she's going to get to twice in 2021, and that's only because she fought in January and December, yeah. or else she wouldn't have got to twice in 2021 either. Mm-hmm. It just, look, this is, a, I mean, you know, we're here to, you know, generate discussion and have podcasts, you know, some back and forth, but... You know, this isn't really the fight to do it. This is, you know, as straightforward as it gets. It's definitely not. Let's take a look at a pick'em, though. You know, the uh, the the fight setting the stage for the two title fights here is a welterweight matchup between Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, dead heat in the sports books here. As far as uh, when I last look, I'm going to double check that again. But minus one ten both ways, basically a pick'em. Maybe we're seeing a little bit of money go to Ponzinibbio since we posted your column yesterday. I'm seeing a couple minus one twenties for Ponzinibbio. Um, it's an interesting situation here, which we'll get to in a bit. But uh, cheap DraftKings prices: Ponzi Nibio is eighty-two hundred, Neil is eight thousand, and the odds to finish are minus one ninety-five. Interestingly enough, Neil is considered more likely to win by KO TKO. FanDuel Sportsbook uh, has Neil at plus one ninety-five by by knockout. Ponzi Nibio is plus three hundred by knockout. So that's something you know maybe worth getting into, but. Uh, this fight is very, very close, and it's going to have a lot of people, uh, you know, torn in both ways. And the backstory I mentioned, I'll get into that before tossing it over to you. Uh, Jeff Neal was arrested on Thanksgiving for uh, driving under the influence and a weapons charge. I was reading into that before uh, the show here. Um, his lawyers believe that they're going to get a blood test, and um, and it'll show that his blood alcohol level was under the legal limit of 0.08. And the only reason the weapons charge was there, I guess it was a, a licensed weapon here. And, um, you know, this is all for the ESPN report I was just reading. But it's a licensed weapon, but it's only a crime if you're under the influence. So if, the, if it shows he's... He, what I'm saying is it's not supposed to affect this fight at all. And there's a decent chance with a good lawyer that he can just have the whole thing cleared off. So I think people may be overblowing that a little bit heading into that. But, uh, you know, there are, that's the one big narrative thing that's surrounding this fight here. But Neil, 
lost a couple fights in a row, was at one point considered to be one of the better 170-pound prospects in the UFC, while Ponzinibbio also coming from a long layoff to, uh, you know, maybe mixed results of lately. But I'm going to pass this over to you. Uh, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on the breakdown and ultimately who gets their hand raised? Yeah, you know, I'm actually a little surprised this fight's happening. You know, I'm not, we're not legal experts, but a lot of times when something like that, this kind of situation happens so close to a fight, it doesn't happen. You know, you know, they, they pull somebody or whatever, but you know, I, I agree with you in the sense, I don't think it's really going to have a big impact on the fight. Um, it's getting talked about a bit, but I, I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, look, this is it for Jeff Neal. It was it for Jeff Neal before the recent events, but th you know, he's got to figure this one out. He's 31 years old. Like you mentioned, lost two fights in a row. Wonderboy Thompson and Neil Magny. Um, Jeff Neal, as you mentioned earlier regarding the uh, knockout odds to finish, Jeff Neal's a heavy-handed boxer. Actually, both of these guys are. Um, Stephen Thompson, even at his advanced age, is probably one of the best kickboxers in the history of mixed martial arts. Um, you know, I picked Thompson over Neal in that fight. I can give him a pass there. But the loss to Neil Magny was ugly. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Magny has legitimate power and is adaptable but jeff neal has an edge there and he didn't look good um jeff neal has certainly outperformed expectations since he joined the company back in 2018 but he never really has any history of defeating better competition and it's fair to wonder if he's simply built his name beating up lesser competition um it's not gone easy for santanago ponzanibio either lately Won seven straight fights from December 2015 to November 2018. He was legitimately closing in on a title shot at 170 pounds, maybe one or two more wins away. He would have got there. Then he had a staph infection, which sent him to the sidelines for, God, the better part of three years, um, which is hard to believe. He came back in January, was immediately knocked out by Lee Jingliang. And, you know, Lee's pretty good. Underrated, actually. I'm a big fan, but yeah, we just I mean, saw. Don't, Lee don't judge what happened to him. I was saying, we just saw him. Yeah, we just saw him get steamrolled by Comzot. You know that'll happen. Sure. I mean, so that you know that is what it is. Guy getting his feet back under him. He fought again this past June. Uh, Ponzinibbio did. He took unanimous decision from Miguel Beza. Was not a great performance. Still doesn't look like himself. Looks like a guy who's really just still trying to find his footing. Been away for a long time. You know, we're going to get to Dominic Cruz in a couple minutes, but regardless of what he says, Octagon Rust is real. And Ponzinibbio is now 35 years old. It's fair to wonder if he simply is just having a bit more difficult time finding his footing and getting back in the rhythm at an advanced age. Um, this is going to be, and I would be shocked if this is anything other than a stand-up fight. You know, in the uh, main event, we spoke about how, you know, Oliveira would prefer to keep it on the mat. Why Poirier would prefer to keep it standing. Both these guys want to keep it standing. Um, there's fight-altering power here from both guys. Um, neither guy averages even a single takedown per 15 minutes. So I don't think anybody has an edge there whatsoever. Um, this is going to be a firefight. The winner is probably going to be the guy whose chin holds up. Um, the advanced numbers from a striking standpoint are eerily similar. There's little separation between the two. Ponzinibbio is an inch taller. Neil has a two-inch reach edge. This is close, and it's smart. You know, this is smart matchmaking. We just spoke about Nunes and Pena where they didn't really have much of a choice, but this is smart. You don't want to burn either one of these guys, but Ponzinibbio is getting up there in age. Neil has kind of a mediocre resume. It is what it is. You know, one guy, guy has to win this fight, and 
I'm going to go with Ponzinibbio. I just ultimately think he's safer. And I really, I and that I made that pick before the recent situation with Neil. I didn't take any of that into consideration. I just think he's safer. I really, I didn't know that knockout prop. You said what is it? Plus three something for Ponzinibbio? Yeah, Ponzinibbio is plus three hundred, and Neil's only plus one ninety five. There's so, no way there should be that much of a gap there. I, I think, um, uh, I think it's because they would expect if Ponzinibbio wins, it's by decision. But they would think Neil. If he wins, it would be more likely to happen by finish. I would agree with that, but that's that's a general that's a nice number on Ponzinibbio. He's my pick. I think he's a bit safer. I really I think with what we've seen lately that there's a chance Jeff Neal made his name beating up Western competition. Yeah, see, I actually want to challenge you on that point, and uh, you know, I, I marked that down because. In 2019, now listen, it's before his two-fight losing streak, but in 2019, uh, Jeff Neal went out there in decision Bilal Muhammad, who is a big-time contender in the welterweight division. Then he finished Nico Price, and he finished Mike Perry, all in one calendar year, and that's what got him a lot of the hype. Now you can discount the Mike Perry win based on what um, based on what had happened to Mike Perry of late, but I just looked at Mike Perry. Out of his last six fights with the company, he was only finished one of those times. He's generally very durable, and that finish came against Jeff Neal. It was in the first round, knocked him down, put him out. I mean, uh, maybe I'm attached a little bit too much to the Jeff Neal of 2019 because, you know, like I said, he goes out and gets pieced up by Wonderboy, eats 171 significant strikes. Now, before the Wonderboy fight, the other thing, you know, the narrative here we want to talk about with this is uh, – so the, the Wonderboy fight happened in December of 2020. A few months earlier, in August of 2020, Jeff Neal was hospitalized with a mysterious illness that resulted in sepsis and congenital heart failure. He was on dialysis. They thought he was going to die. He made his way out of it. He didn't test positive for COVID. Didn't really wasn't really a flu situation here, but he was fighting for his life for a while there. And uh, if you look at the game log, there's a clear before and after here, you know, in his fight log. And, and after that, he maybe you could argue hasn't looked like himself. Now, again, the Wonder Boy fight, Wonder Boy is, you know, like the best kickboxer, one of the best, if not the best in the division or even in the UFC. And to do that just a couple months after that uh, serious, serious health scare, you could argue if he should have even been in there at that point. But then you give it five months and yeah, take the octagon again in mail in may and he loses to neil magny he doesn't look great at you know he's not finished in either of these fights i don't think you're gonna i'd be surprised if ponzinibbio was able to put him out of there um you know in any way and which is why i understand the plus 300 prop um but it's the magny fight you're right that's a little bit concerning you don't i know you've never been a huge magny fan and i generally I, I don't know if it's just the look of him or watching tape on Magny. It, it always surprises me that he's able to make the most and get wins. Given yeah, he's you know, crazy. Ad- yeah. He's crazy adaptable. Yeah, like Neil Magny's not like the most athletic guy in the world, mm-hmm. which is why I always bet against him because I think, and it's 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 worked a little lately. But for a while, he just excels at tailoring his game plan to who he fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and know, he was- look, he gave he frustrated Neil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. No doubt about that here. But now I think, you know, Neil's kind of taking a step back, preparing himself for maybe another run. Now, granted, his serious, mysterious illness from August of 2020 doesn't have I mean, we're over a year down the road right now. Hopefully that doesn't, you know, have long term consequences as for his fight career, because if he loses to Ponzinibbio on Saturday, I'm probably about ready to write him off as a prospect and I'll just accept him as kind of a fringe ranking guy moving forward. But I actually think, um, I think I think 
I'm going to pick him to win actually against Ponzinibbio because I'm discounting Ponzinibbio. You're right. Ponzinibbio hasn't exactly looked the same either, uh, you know, over those last couple fights. And uh, I don't know. I think Neil's got more. I, I Maybe the Neil of 2019 that uh, got two knockdowns on Bilal Muhammad. Maybe the Neil that was able to put Nico Price and Mike Perry uh, out early in those fights and, and get a bonus in the Nico Price fight. That's the Neil I'm thinking of in my head. You know, the, the, the Thompson and the Magni ones aren't there. And I think if Neil can get back to 80% of that form, I think he takes uh, he blows Ponzinibbio out of the water. There's still, you know, you maybe want to get both sides in this again if you're mass entering here. I like the it's not much, but it's $200 off and on, on a card where you need to get uh, Nunez in your lineup, probably, um, you know, Neil, Neil at 8,000 gives you a little bit of savings here. I think the markets, the betting markets are overreacting um, to maybe some of that recent news, his arrest, because like you said, I don't really want to, I'm not really buying into that much. Um Unless there's something going on with that health condition, and only Neil knows this, only his team knows this, unless there's something going on with what happened back in August that's still affecting him, um, there's not much else I can see uh, you know, that I, that would really pull me over to the Ponzinibbio side. I, you know, I, I made a chart right down the middle here. Uh, both great camps. Neil's a four to seven May guy. Ponzinibbio's an ATT guy. Uh, you know, Ponzinibbio statistically striking offense and defense a little bit better. I actually, when I put their strength of record up against each other recently, I gave that edge to Neil. So I, I think that's something we can agree to disagree on. Neil's the younger fighter. Ponzinibbio's a little taller. Neil's got a little better reach. If there's any wrestling grappling, Neil statistically, you know, has the slight edge there. And, you know, the cherry on top for me was Neil being a better DraftKings play because if he wins, it seems like it would be higher scoring as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe Ponzinibbio outlasting a decision. So I went Neil on this one. This is going to be split among our staff because you can make a case very well for either guy. Um, But it depends, like, who is back? to the old self that we thought of because both have taken their lumps lately and maybe they're both back. Maybe this is a great fight. It's a fight of the night candidate. I mean, some, some decent volume there on both guys, but I'm not ready to give up on Neil and, and the image that I had of him is, uh, yeah, they're, they're, def- they're red flags both ways. Mm-hmm. There definitely are. And I, I think when this fight is over, we'll probably, cause it's really, like you mentioned, it's really kind of the last chance for both guys mm-hmm. between Neil's losses, a couple losses in a row, and you know, no one's really. If Ponzinibbio loses, yeah, who wants a guy who's one and two in his last three fights and is thirty-five years old? You know, yeah. I mean, wh- whoever wins gets a big-time ranked opponent in their next fight. Whoever yeah. loses is gatekeeper. You know, yeah, not much room for error either way. If it's, if it's emphatic win, okay. So we talked about that one enough, and and granted, I wanted to talk about that one a lot because that's going to be a dividing line uh, with DraftKings, and I was glad that we both had different perspectives on that, so we could give you know, you know, that's what I, that's always what I tell listeners, you know. Not, a, not every single writer is going to agree in, in, you know, the five, six pieces of content we put up every week. But read through the perspectives. Make your own call on who's got the better point, and hopefully we gave you a good perspective on both guys. But let's talk about some flyweights here. Uh, the little guys, uh, Cody Garbrandt, you know, former uh, bantamweight uh, title holder and contender here. Uh, he's 8,700 on DraftKings, taking on Kai Kara of France at 7,500. The betting odds have Garbrandt about minus 155, comeback on Kai Kara of France, plus 135. Odds to finish, this is a little bit odd for a flyweight fight, but minus 165. I guess they see a couple of heavy hitters, and, and we'll see what happens there. Um, who you got in this one? Okay, so... You know, what the big deal is here is this is Cody Garbrandt's flyweight debut. 
He was supposed to fight Davison Figueiredo, who was champion at the time, a little over a year ago. He was going to fight him for the title. Cody tested positive, was forced to withdraw. Decided to remain at Bantamweight for one more bout. Got whipped by Rob Font this past May. Rob Font, who lost to Jose Aldo last week. And now he's now Cody Garbrandt's dropping down a flyweight. Um, Cody Garbrandt is one in four. That is not a misprint since winning the UFC Bantamweight title from Dominic Cruz in December of 2016. So we're talking, you know, about five years ago. He's dealt with a bunch of health issues, a bunch of injuries. I know he had a back issue. Um, I'm, I don't have a problem with the decision to move down because of his struggles at bantamweight. I don't think the drop down is going to make that big much that much of a huge difference. I don't think you're going to see Cody Garbrandt just run through flyweights because he decides to drop down a division. Um, Cody has power. He has just never fought smart enough to get to it consistently. Um, his chin is also questionable. The flyweight division might help him, just like you mentioned. You know, guys are less prone to get being knocked out in the smaller weight class. Guys just don't have the same power. But the more I watch Cody Garbrandt fight, the more I think that Cruz fight just was like a perfect storm. I think it was just like his ultimate moment where everything connected, everything went well, and he ended up winning. Um, look, Kai Car France's opponent has also been inconsistent. He's 2-2 two and two in his last four fights, but he's going to make Cody work here. That much I have no doubt. Carol France lacks secondary skills. He's not much of a grappler, but he's big on volume in the striking game, and he's a good stand-up fighter, which is not a surprise. He trains with Israel Adesanya and Eugene Berriman and the rest of the guys at City Kickboxing, so that's no surprise that he's good on the feet. Um... I'm interested in seeing if Garbrandt uses his wrestling a little more at flyweight. Um, he certainly has a background in it. Never used it much at bantamweight. Averages about one takedown per 15 minutes, just over one, that 1.05. Cody's four inches taller. He should have a big strength advantage. Like if these two guys end up in the clinch or something, Cody should be able to outmuscle Car France physically. Car France does have a four inch reach edge. That could come into play if it ends up being a kickboxing match. I was very torn here. I went back and forth. Um, I really wanted to fade Garbrandt. It seems like the right idea. It seems like the right move. And I'm not even, uh, and that's before taking into consideration the $1,200 salary difference between the two. Um, I wanted to do it. I ultimately couldn't. I don't like taking guys in new weight classes. Cody's certainly been banged up both health and injury-wise. I ended up taking Garbrandt simply because I think this is the kind of opponent Cody can beat at flyweight. Mm -hmm. Car France is almost as reckless as Garbrandt is. I think Cody can really win if his chin holds up. That's not a guarantee considering what we've seen lately. But I do think this is the kind of fight that favors him. He did last five rounds with Font. Rob Font's a really good boxer. Cody did see the final bell in that fight. I'm wagering his chin will hold up long enough that he can get to his offense against Car France. Not overly confident about it. I would probably actually think Car France is probably a better DraftKings play considering the salaries. But I think stylistically, this is actually a pretty good matchup for Cody.
Yeah, it's always an interesting chin conversation when you're moving down a weight class, right? Because theoretically, people 10 pounds lighter shouldn't be able to hit you as hard. But at the same time, you're dehydrating your body. You're squeezing every last bit even more, and that might make you more prone to fall asleep should you take a big shot here. And I'm actually very much with you in the sense where, you know, when it comes down to it, um, I'm going to pick Garbrandt in this fight. I think uh, I think he'll have enough, a more wide variety of skills. He's faced more killers than Kai Kara France. But I would agree with you in a sense that Kara France is probably the better DraftKings play because 8700 for Garbrandt makes it real tough to work in Nunes. It makes it real tough to work in Bruno Silva, who's got one of the best knockout props on the card. Um, so it, it limits you a little bit with your lineup. And Kara France, you know, with around five significant strikes per minute, um, he is uh he'll be he could be the higher scorer i mean i don't think garbrandt's gonna come out blitz him and finish him i think they'll fill each other out they'll each have a chance to land and car france uh you know will score some points and you know could maybe take a decision it's just a three-round fight Kara france loves to pick up the pace you know we'll see what happens the one and final thing i'll say on here though is you know we mentioned moving down a weight class plenty of times i would strongly advise getting a look at garbrandt on the scales on friday morning now not I'm not talking the ceremonial way in that they do with Joe Rogan after everyone's all rehydrated. I'm talking like the, the he's early, talking the 9:30 a.m. one. Yeah, the early, early ones. You know, you know, you're not really working hard on Friday anyway. Get out your phone. All these sites have streams. Hey, you know, MMA fighting, MMA junkie, ESPN. All these guys, they have, uh, you know, they have little streams. You can watch these weigh ins. It's out there for everybody. It's free. Most of them are on YouTube. Take a look at, you know, where he is in the weigh-ins. If he gets out there first, if he gets out there first in line, makes weight and um, and walks off, looks fine, isn't stumbling, doesn't look super emaciated, yeah, then I'll put him in some more lineups here. But if he's one of the last guys out to the scales and he needs his corner holding him up and he's barely on the mark, shaky, then I really rethink using him, you know, at all or reducing my exposure. Yeah, I mean, Cody's, he, he wasn't a small bantamweight either. Exactly. Like you know, he's five. He's you know he's five eight. He's not. He's not tiny. And yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. And I'm afraid that you know he was he was five eight, but still you know looked pretty well built at bantamweight. Yeah. I'm afraid he'll be a little too slight at flyweight. So I want to get a good look. We'll see what happens here. You know, we'll hopefully get a better indication throughout the week. This is the early look show, after all, right? We're kind of taking a giving giving you guys the context for some of these big fights here. But um, all right. And if he uh, looks bad, you'll hear about it. Oh yeah, yeah, you'll hear about it. Any any last notes on him, or should we? Hit no, that? yeah, no, that's good. I mean, look, if you, I, I'm going with him, but if Car France comes out and pieces him apart, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Mm -hmm, exactly. So yeah, again, no prices, no odds, straight pick them. You take our bread in the pool, but you know when when the price comes into play, I start to lean a little bit more towards Car France. But all right, let's take a look. One more fight. I don't think this one needs a really long breakdown. The Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley. He is back, the unranked champion. He calls himself now. Uh, doesn't want to fight the killers until he gets paid that next tier, and we'll see if he can put on a performance to. Uh, to show that he is worthy of that here. He's a minus 305 betting favorite. Comeback on Paiva, plus 240. 9,100 on DraftKings, uh, and Paiva is 7,100. Uh, to me, there's not a lot to break down here. You hit it all in your preview. Taller, longer, O'Malley, crazy high volume. Paiva's striking defense numbers aren't so great. I mean, is this pretty straightforward? Is Sugar Shogun going to go out there and piece him up? Yeah, I think he is. And I, the one thing that surprised me here is I know you, Sean O'Malley is kind of pushing for a few more bucks before he gets, you know, a bigger name. 
I, I thought he would get a bigger name here. And that's no disrespect to Piva. I, you know, I thought this would be a bigger fight for Sean O'Malley. Six and one in the UFC, four knockout wins, three performance of the night bonuses. The one loss came against Marlon there in a fight O'Malley was dominating before he got injured. He's legitimate. You know, Piva moved up to Bantamweight just this year. He was a flyweight guy. So he essentially did the opposite of what Garbrandt's doing. Um, he took a majority decision from Ky- Kyler Phillips. Piva's 5'8", so he was a big bantamweight, you know. I, I'm sorry, he was a big flyweight, but same size as Garbrandt. Look, O'Malley's 5'11", which is one of his greatest assets. He's going to be bigger than almost any bantamweight he ever faces. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most creative strikers we've seen. Tons of kicks, all different angles. It's impossible to find somebody to spar with him because nobody can mimic what he does in training. Um this is straightforward. I think it's going to be a real easy O'Malley win, and I would guess next time that he'll get a rise from the competition, although I thought yeah. he'd get one here. Yeah, I mean, O'Malley is plus 110 to finish by KOTKO. God, that um, seems low. That seems low, too. That seems low, too. I mean, the other thing, I mean, people will see Chris Moutinho in his last fight in Vegas go out there, absorb hundreds of significant strikes. That might have even been a record for a three-round fight and, and and not get finished. Maybe some people question O'Malley's power. But either way, even if he doesn't get to finish, eight significant strikes landed per minute through what's now a decent sample size. Now, granted, that last fight brought it way up, way up but he has enough uh, potential there to get you a high score in a three in a 15 minute fight even if he does not get the see fight. i would say the flip side i would say it was just the superhuman performance from moutinho okay yeah and the thing enough. and the thing was almost stopped a couple times too mm-hmm. i mean yeah no it was definitely I, I just all credit to moutinho right oh god yeah but one of the greatest t- displays of toughness i've seen in my entire life um but heading into this fight moutinho had a handful of losses on the regional circuit he wasn't he wasn't a big name fighter. He he sure as hell came to fight that night necessarily. So I think you could you could maybe you know have a knock on uh, on O'Malley for not getting him out of there earlier, although it was close. Although it was close here, but you know Moutinho just exceeded expectations. Maybe he's turned a corner. You know, fair enough here. But uh, one ten for O'Malley. I think I'd rather bet that than than you know take him as a three to one favorite. So you know that that's something to think about. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, if you're confident, you could do a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I think there's uh yeah, there, there's some opportunities there. I should mention that on the Rotowire Sports betting section here, we've got data from four sports books, and uh, maybe we'll get a little arbitrage calculator going here. I'm just excited. Soon. Our next pay per view, our next pay per view. I'm going to legally be able to do this. Yeah. New York, it's coming to New York, so hope, by the Super Bowl they tell me. So mm-hmm. no more I'll be in. Jersey. I'll know, I'll know exactly what you're talking about by the time we get to next year. All right, right on. We can. Uh, I'm still still waiting in Wisconsin. Might be waiting a little while here, uh, but uh, that's another topic to consider. All right, there are a couple underdogs on this fight. You're definitely going to need a few underdogs in your lineups, especially if you're going um, if you're going for Amanda Nunes and John. There is one to me. That really stood out here. I, I I I hope I'm not stealing any of your thunder, but I do want to go. No, you go. I I always go first, so you can go. Who do you got? The one guy I really like is Augusto Sakai. At yeah, of course, yeah, you, yeah, you stole it. Go ahead. Did I steal it? Okay. That was I, the that I was the one. Have, I do have a backup in the pocket, but you can you can hit anyone. I mean, I I like. I was surprised to see Tuivasa the betting favorite and the high. I mean. The salaries tend to follow the odds generally, so right. I guess I was not surprised to see him. Yeah, the, the odds are essentially a pick'em. Yeah, um, 
and the salary Sakai is seventy nine hundred, and you know, so you save you save a buck or two there. Um, but I listen to Ivasa, man, I love the guy. He's terrible. He's, he is an awesome, cool fan favorite. I love the shooting <sighs> thing. I can't I can't get enough of it. But let's get real here. I mean, his resume coming into this, uh, so he had lost three fights in a row, right? He was on the verge of maybe getting cut. Comes back and knocks out the ghost of Stefan Struve, who goes ahead and retires. Then he knocks out someone named Harry Hunsucker, who I don't believe is maybe he's with you. There's no way that there's no way that fight really happened. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I wrote that up, and I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. And then he goes and he he beats Greg Hardy, where you know does, he didn't necessarily look crazy dominated. He caught him with a good check right hook and uh, put Hardy to sleep. And I remember watching that in Vegas, going crazy, celebrating. I loved it. You know, um, yeah, I was almost tempted to stand up on the bar and drink a beer out of my shoe. I was that excited at the time because hey, you know, Vegas, whatever. However, Augusto Sakai is a different story. Yeah, people are going to look at the re- the recent records and see okay ooh, Tuivasa three straight first round knockouts Sakai back-to-back losses Sakai lost to Rosenstrike and Overeem two top top elite heavyweight contenders and there's no doubt in my mind both of those guys would wreck Tuivasa if not sooner than they did Sakai and prior to that Sakai was on a nice five fight win streak with a pretty good win against Blago Ivanov and a pretty good win against Marcin Tybura and you know, got a split decision from Arlovsky, who has somehow been winning fights lately. Once I like Ivanov too. Yeah. He's he's one of the toughest human beings ever. So if you can yeah. get past him, even in a split decision, I'm in. So the strength of record pales in comparison. These odds don't make any sense to me. This is a Sakai through and through. It's a little risky to take heavyweight underdogs in cash games. It can blow up in your face. And Tuivasa, sure, he has one punch knockout power, but Sakai's the better all around fighter. And to me, it's 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 not that close. I would have pegged this more along the lines of minus one fifty, minus one eighty Sakai if we were playing guess the lines here. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe I got a, a terrible read on this, but I just I don't res- I. Tuivas so much fun. Love the guy. I just don't respect the quality of his of the competition lately, and that's what's fueling the line here. Yeah, the other thing is, it, you know, I didn't write this up in full, but Tuivas was supposed to face Walt Harris um, in o- late October. Harris pulled out. Sakai stepped in. They're supposed to fight in November. Visa issues were pushed back here. So essentially, this one came about late. It was supposed to be Harris. But I totally agree with you as far as if you go from a pure – if you're betting on Tai Tuivasa to win, you're always betting on a quick one-punch knockout. Yeah. Don't, He's even not, bet the, don't even bet the money line. Bet him by finish. And That's not only bet him by finish, pro, you can pro, I would just – if you're going to bet Tuivasa, I would just like first-round prop knockout bet him mm-hmm. just to improve your odds that much yeah. if you think he's going to win. I'm going to see if we got odds for that yet. Some of those prelims fights don't. Tuivasa has the fourth best odds on the whole card of a first round knockout. He's about plus 340, you know, compared to where you're not even getting, you know, plus money on before. So yeah. Nunes, Silva, O'Malley, Tuivasa, then Jeff Neal. And there's some on the undercard that haven't came in yet, but, uh, you know, that'll probably play a role in that. But yeah, I mean, that, that one just doesn't make sense to me. Anyone else jump out as a possible underdog? Anyone you like, or did I take your guy? That was the main one. You know, all right, there are two others I'm going to hit quick. And believe it or not, the first one I'm going to go with is Dan Ige against Josh Emmett. And I actually, for the record, I picked Emmett. So I'm going against what I picked. The only reason I say I mention Ige is 
Josh Emmett's coming off a bad, bad injury. Um, a bunch of injuries to his left leg. He tore his ACL. He hasn't fought since June 2020. It's been um, 539 days since Josh Emmett's last pro fight. I and like Josh Emmett's days. like good. Like that came, those injuries came in a fight against Shane Burgos, mm -hmm. a, you know, a fight of the night, you know, back and forth. And I like Emmett, but I don't think it's a terrible idea to fade a 36 year old coming off a major leg injury. Like, I don't think that's the worst plan in the world. Um, so that, you know, that's one. The reason I had the 539 days queued up is because Danny Gay was my other guy. I don't yeah, know. I don't know if we're uh, if we're on the same page here. If we've just been doing this, yeah. long I enough, took I, I took Emmett's trade up, yep. but like I have no problem fading a thirty six. I you know yeah. I wouldn't have a ton of confidence. I mean, EA's uh, durable as heck at seventy four hundred. He yeah, and he's a big volume loss. guy. He could score decent in a loss. For yeah, him. I have he's no problem with that. Quite what I would have expected off the top of my head. It's a, I think it's under four significant. Let me let me check this real real quick. He is yeah, at, he's, uh, he's, he's he's a little below four. Yeah, a little below. Yeah. Four. yeah, that ain't too bad. That ain't too no, bad. I mean, solid. you know, people. He did, he has lost two out of his last three, but they were to the Korean freaking zombie and Calvin Cater, uh, and he lasted all five rounds, putting up eighty and eighty four significant strikes in those fights. So he and he's six years lot. younger and not coming off a torn ACL. Yes, exactly. He's been he's been pretty active lately. This is going to be his third fight in 2021 after fighting three times in 2020. So yeah. he's fought only I'm, six times since Emmett last fought. Yeah, and I, there are the uh, two others that you know not underdogs. Um, I, for quite a while now, I'm in full on fade Eric Anders mode. Like that, it, that's you know we've come to. The, we, I think we've figured out that's just not happening. I know he was a Division One college football player at the University of Alabama. But the transition to MMA has been inconsistent, to say the least. That's not to mention the fact that Anders is a late notice, repla late notice replacement. Andre Muniz was originally scheduled to face the entertaining. This is I'm saying this wrong. Jurikis Duplicis, the South African, oh, I believe. Yeah, who yeah. was very good. Um, so he's in there. And you know the other one I th we should probably hit quick is. Because I can't ever remember saying this, seeing this. Pedro Munoz and Dominic Cruz. Both guys, 8,100. Both guys, minus 110. As close to a pick -em as you can get. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. For nostalgic purposes, I pick Cruz. Mostly because, look, I still like Dominic in kickboxing fights. And that's what Pedro Munoz does. Um, but that's another one that can go either way. But 81, they're both exceptional fighters. 8100 is a fair price tag for both. So if anybody has a strong lean on that fight one way or the other, that's a good fight to get in because you're getting a good fighter at a reasonable salary. Yeah, I, I'm taking I'm taking the Munoz side in this one. Uh, I like the volume. I just I, I know Dominic Cruz beat Casey Kenny, um, you know, by split decision. Got this. He got a couple of takedowns in the striking edge. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just not confident that Cruz has a whole lot left in the tank at this stage in the game whereas Munoz has been fighting really really solid bantam weights uh to some success here so I, I'm on the Munoz side of that but uh, uh will he finish Cruz like Cejudo did yeah, yeah maybe I'll I'll have more Munoz than Cruz but uh you know just the price tags in general make it a little bit of, bit of an attractive fight from a DFS standpoint yeah and I mean there are a couple fighters on the undercard with massive salaries that you know, I wouldn't touch like Jillian Robertson's 9,300. Mm -hmm. Even if she wins easily, she's not the type to rack up a ton of DraftKings points. So, I mean, who, 
who is the ref again that uh, that let Kashera get beat up so bad by? Oh the, God, by yeah. Jinko that no longer the heart Mario Yamasaki was well, Yamasaki doesn't oh, yeah, Yamasaki yeah, doesn't ref anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, but the guy let uh, Kashera take just. Oh know, yeah, for against Shevchenko. Yeah, 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 that was yeah. him. Yeah, that's and, and that's why he doesn't ref anymore. Yeah, he doesn't ref anymore. Yeah. Only if he were refing this fight would I take Jillian Robertson at, yeah. at that salary. Is what I'm trying to say. The point I'm yeah. trying to make there. Um, yeah, the heart guys. No. I right. mean, you and you essentially can't take Ryan Hall at 8900 because he's so awkward and impossible to figure out. Even though I think it's entertaining as hell, you know, he's, the average the average MMA fan's not going to like a guy rolling around yeah. on his back. It's, I know he's one of the he's like a low key entertaining fighter. He's an acquired taste. You got to really love the sport to like appreciate what if like you're just with your buddies or you're just hanging out or whatever, and you flip it on like you, most people are going to be like, "What the hell am I watching?" You know, that's that's not for the average yeah, person. Maybe get a little Eminari roll action in there. Yeah, yeah what what am I what am I doing here? Fun. Yeah, you know, yeah, Hall's not knocking anybody out. The way he nope. gets wins in the UFC is snatching on the weird, awkward submissions, tangling you up, getting you in heel hooks, just funny things that, uh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't trust that to happen necessarily, but, you know, Minner is... Uh, not at that price. Yeah, so, I mean, Hooter, Hall was a pretty big underdog. I'm going to look at this real quick. I know we got to wrap up. Hall was a pretty big underdog against Tapuria in his last fight, and had won rattled off four fights in a row. Tapuria was a step up in top competition. Minner, I don't think, is on Tapuria's level, so Hall could maybe get that finish that you're hoping for, but you're hoping for that gone in 60 seconds bonus or just, you know, weird submission, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's awkward. I don't I don't like to put a lot of stake in that, you know, in this game that we play, at least. It'll probably be entertaining from the fans. Any final notes, John? No, this is a good card. I mean, it's, 50, it's 15 fights deep. There's probably... God, there's probably five there's probably seven or eight like real quality you know mm-hmm. real quality ones which you know it's solid it's the whole the whole pay-per-view is good you know and you get another you know three or four after that so it's a good card all right right on well that's gonna wrap things up thank you everyone out there whether you joined us live or whether you uh you know pick this up on their podcast platforms later on thank you very much for listening to the road to wire mixed martial arts podcast i got to give you the like and subscribe deal we're trying to get the uh, Rotowire MMA YouTube channel. Um, you know, th- those subscriptions up really helps us out if you give us a, sub- a subscribe. Just a couple of videos a month. We're not going to bombard you with stuff. So uh, thank you for doing that. Once again, give John a follow on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Man, we got a long break ahead. I'll see you in 2022, John. Yeah, January 22nd. I might have my legal betting by then. Nice. Yeah, that'll be fun. We'll definitely have to dive into that uh, as well. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, take care. Good luck with your lineups. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy holidays. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.